And today we uh, continue uh, our study of uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes. We are skipping over chapter 6, but uh, beginning now in verses uh, 1 through 6 of chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes. So let's hear God's word. Uh, Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 1 says, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by a sad countenance the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For like the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This also is vanity. Thus ends the reading of the inspired, inerrant, authoritative word of the living God. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. It is it is powerful. May it work with power on our hearts and minds today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. In Ecclesiastes 12.9, we read that uh, it says, Moreover, because the preacher was wise, that is Solomon who wrote this book, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. Well, Solomon was an excellent teacher. He knew how to utilize Proverbs to teach. Uh, the, the whole book of Proverbs is largely written by him. And, and uh, in, in chapter 7, we find uh, a lot of Proverbs. It's pretty much uh, all Proverbs. And the Hebrew word for proverb uh, is often, it can be translated riddle. And it signifies a, a problem or, or a hidden mode of speaking which conceals the sense under figurative expression. So usually they're easy to figure out. Sometimes we have to think a little bit and, uh, and ponder what the meaning is. But you know, Solomon was a good teacher, but his life wasn't always what it should have been. His life wasn't always the best teacher and yet, in the book of Ecclesiastes, we see that Solomon admits his, the folly of certain uh, pursuits that he had in his life. And, and so he, uh, he learned from his mistakes, and you and I benefit uh, from that. But these Proverbs we're going to see today have to do mainly with a contrast between sorrow and laughter, between mourning and feasting, and similar types of, of, of things. And the default setting in human nature is a desire for happiness. Does anybody in here not want to be happy this morning? Don't you want to be happy? And, and we see a lot of secular books being written today, movies uh, about the pursuit of happiness. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's hardwired in, into our souls. And, uh, and really, God created us to be happy. He made us to find our joy, however, in a dependent and obedient relationship with Him. And so what happened, as we all know, 
uh, is that sin has disrupted that relationship. Um, it's separated us from the Lord. And uh, it's ruined It's ruined our happiness, really. Uh, sin makes us miserable. But sin, sin doesn't take away the desire for happiness. Uh, what it does, it, it simply distorts our understanding of how we can achieve it. Because today we're, we think and we're taught that we can achieve happiness apart from God, apart from knowing him and following Christ. But God, you see, uh, by his all-wise providence, uh, uses sorrow and suffering uh, to bring us to see our great need of himself first. Uh, happiness really is a byproduct, you see, of knowing God. Uh, but in order to know God, we have to be humbled. Uh, we have to have sorrow and trials and tribulation in our lives so that we would find our ultimate joy in Jesus Christ uh, in this life and throughout eternity. So if you want to be happy, you need to know up front that unless you come to know Jesus Christ, unless you follow Jesus Christ in your life, you'll never be truly happy. You'll have momentary uh, times of happiness, but, but they aren't deep, they aren't lasting. And uh, until we also, as Christians, learn to embrace uh, sorrow, sadness, as, as a means of grace, then we're going to miss out on, uh, on spiritual growth, but ultimately we'll miss out on happiness uh, that God has for us, the joy that comes as a result. So in these verses that we're looking at today, we see certain things that are better than other things. It's a... It's a uh, you know, this is better than that. And, and often in these contrasts, there, it's not that one thing is bad and one thing is good or one thing's wrong and one thing's right, but something is good maybe and then something else is, is even better. For example, in verse 3, sorrow is better than laughter. That doesn't mean that laughter is, is, is a bad thing. Uh, but again, Solomon, he learned these things by experience. He lived for pleasure. He, he lived for, for laughter, perhaps. Uh, but in and of itself, he found that pleasure did not satisfy. And he found that sorrow was better than laughter because of, of the things that it taught him and, and the things that God uh, brought, the good things that God brought through uh, suffering and sorrow. Well, today we'll go verse by verse through our passage and, and beginning with verse 1. A good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of one's birth. And so he starts out uh, this section stating the value of a good name. When he brings in this idea of ointment, precious ointment, that was something that was very valuable uh, in, in Solomon's day. And so a good name is valuable. It's something we ought to desire and, and a person's name, of course, has to do with their reputation uh, and, and their character. And we need a good name, don't we? People, uh, you need a good name if you want a good job, if you want to have a good standing in the community, if you want good credit, you're going to have to have something to back that up. But uh, more importantly, we, our reputation, our name as Christians is, uh, is what we need to think about. Uh, we need to live in such a way that our lives are pleasing to God 
and that we have a good name in his sight and before the world. Proverbs 22.1 says a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver or gold. But how many times, even Christian parents, uh, they look at their children, their future, and they focus on what kind of job they can get, how much money they can make, rather than on uh, their good name and their Christian character. I like what uh, Charles Bridges wrote. He said, a good name is better than a great name. A name of, in other words, a name of great account in the world. Today, uh, we have this, we see this, uh, uh, this, this desire among people to have, to be famous, uh, to be well known. So this is not what Solomon is talking about. Uh, a, a good name is better than having a great name. Uh, whether anyone knows you or not, uh, uh, you know, or whether many know you, the ones that do know you would, would know you to be a person of Christian character, to have a good reputation. That's more important than fame, of course. And certainly we ought to have a good reputation. Uh, if you are a Christian, uh, you ought to have a good reputation in the church and, and, and in the world, even in the eyes of the unbeliever. Uh, the Bible tells us that our lives should adorn the gospel. Make it beautiful. Philippians 2.15 says that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So uh, there, you know, Christians' lives ought to be different. They ought to point to Jesus Christ. And when the world does hate us, and it will, uh, it should hate us only because we resemble Jesus and because we proclaim his gospel. And we may suffer uh, for that, but, but hopefully at least even those who are persecuting us uh, would understand that we are people who follow Christ. So what does the mentioning of having a good name have to do between this contrast between sorrow and laughter and, and, and so on? Well, uh, first of all, to have a good name is, is to, to have a reputation for integrity, uh, for honesty, humility, love, things like that. And what sorrow does, it, it leads us away from the opposite of, of these types of things. Uh, it leads us away from our sins so that we would draw near to God. And then by learning to embrace suffering and sorrow, we refine, we are purified. He sanctifies us and produces that character, that good name uh, that we ought to have. So they do go together. So how is your reputation, by the way? It may be hard for us to assess individually because it's what others would think of us. What's your reputation in your, in your family, your extended family, your neighborhood, your job? Uh, well, these are things to think about. But we ought to seek to, uh, to earn the respect of those around us. And, of course, if you do have a good reputation, if you uh, do have a good name, you need to realize it's only by the grace of God that these things come about. Left to ourselves, we would ruin our name and dishonor God's name. Uh, I see that in my life, and it's only by the grace of God that uh, it keeps us from uh, dishonoring the Lord's name. So what is it to have a good name? Well, first of all, it's to know Jesus Christ. It's to know him 
uh, whose name is above all names, is to be found in him not, not having a righteousness of our own or a name of our own. You see, we're accepted only on account of his name. Uh, he is the one who has a, a truly good name. Uh, it's to be found in him and, and to know him who alone is good. Uh, it is to have your name written in his book, the Lamb's Book of Life. It is to know him and it is to serve him. But in the second half of the verse, he continues. He says, the day of death is better than the day of one's birth. And it doesn't take long to figure out what he's getting at here. Um, consider our birth into this world. We, we celebrate a birth usually. It's a time of happiness. Uh, and yet, uh, the day of birth is when we enter into uh, a sin-cursed world. We, we come into it with sinful hearts, corrupt natures, and from the moment of birth, uh, we begin a, a life of trial, tribulation, and suffering. And, uh, you know, we come into this world and there's much pain and misery. We think it's normal. It's all we've ever known, but it's not the way God created things originally to be. So uh, how can the day of death then be better than the day of birth? Well, of course, this is only true for believers, for those who know the Lord, or those who know Christ. Uh, for the unbeliever, the day of birth is uh, it really is, is bad because uh, it, he's entering into a, a life of sin and misery. But the day of death is even worse because he's entering then into an eternity of misery and punishment. Well, for the Christian, the day of death is, is a different story. Uh, first of all... Uh, it's better than the day of birth because we will have a, a brand new body. There will be no more suffering or pain and no more sin. I'm free from the presence of sin. Transported, translated into the very presence of God. And so uh, death itself is not a good thing. Uh, and life is better than death. But, but death for those who are in Christ uh, has lost its sting. And death for the believer is not the end but the beginning of an eternity with the Lord. Uh, so, uh, as Scripture says, in your presence is fullness of joy. So, so knowing Christ makes the day of our death better than the day we were born. And, 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 and that means if you don't know Christ, uh, then um, the worst is yet to come. For the believer, the best is yet to come. So make sure you know the Lord. Let's move on now to verse 2. It says, Better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living take it to heart. I think it wasn't until I was a teenager that I attended a funeral. When I was younger, I, I probably got out of it somehow. I never wanted to go to a funeral, and when I went, I didn't want to go back to another funeral. And if you had told me that one day I would conduct funeral services, I would have been... Uh, terrified at the thought, but uh, it, it's good for us to attend funerals. I think it's good to bring children to funerals, and because even Jesus said, you know, it, 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 blessed are those who mourn. Uh, there is a time to mourn, and 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 certainly when someone dies, uh, we should do that. We should be involved in that, and and, and death causes us to think. And when you, when you go to a party, that's the opposite, right? The, the, the house of feasting, uh, you don't think about death. 
you, uh, you are only wanting to enjoy the moment. You don't think uh, into the future, but uh, we need to think. And at a party, we don't think. At a funeral, we remember our mortality. We become aware of the fact that, yes, we too, one day, will be where that person is, in the casket or wherever, uh, in the grave. And, and death not only reminds us of our mortality, it reminds us of our sin, because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And, and why does death exist? Well, it's because sin exists. And, 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 how, and how then do we defeat death? Well, you have to deal with sin, and, and that's where Christ comes in. There's only one who defeated sin, that is the Lord Jesus. In 2 Timothy 1.10, we read that by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, he abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So it's better to go into a house of mourning because we contemplate these things and, and there's spiritual good uh, that comes out of it. But it's not just attending a funeral service that does us good. Solomon says we, we, we need to take it to heart. Right? Uh, take it to your own heart and, and, and think it through uh, where you are in your relationship with God. And we need God's help to do this. And I think uh, prayers that, like Psalm 90 verse 12 uh, will be helpful. So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Uh, pray that God will help you to think through these things and take them to heart. Uh, so uh, you know, of course, it's not wrong to go to a festival or to a house of feasting, to uh, to a time of celebration. We just went through the holiday season, and uh, most of us uh, did some feasting. And, and uh, even the Lord Jesus, of course, uh, when he came, he first his first miracle was at a wedding feast, and he turned water into wine. And so Christ wasn't against these things, and yet he also was found uh, at the place of death. He was groaning and weeping when Lazarus died. And so Charles Bridges said in both places, the house of feasting and in the house of mourning, we can glorify the Lord and follow Christ there. So, But death makes us think about matters of ultimate importance, and of course we need to act on that. Act on, we reflect on it, and then we act on it. And uh, the question is, are we ready? Are you ready uh, for the day in which your days come to an end? Uh, if you know Christ, then you are ready. Well, verse 4 goes along with verse 2. We'll get back to verse 3 in a moment. But the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Again, he's, he's not advocating this morbid... Uh, you know, uh, preoccupation with death. Now, he's just warning us against the natural tendency to block out all unpleasant thoughts and to look at life, you know, we have that tendency to look at life as one big uh, uh, joke or party or, or time for fun. But, you know, if your heart is set on mirth, on worldly entertainment and, and so on, uh, you're acting foolishly. You're not going to be ready uh, for the day of your own death. But... He's getting us to, to uh, embrace realism here and, and, and to become serious about our lives. Well, that leads us back to verse 3. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by a sad countenance the heart is made better. So sorrow is better because of what it can do for us. Again, laughter is not, not a bad thing. 
the Bible says a merry heart doeth good, uh, like medicine. And Scripture says rejoice always. So joy is, is a dominant note in Scripture. But sorrow is a useful note. And we dare not uh, let it go unused in our lives. Uh, and, and it causes us to get serious and think about things that have true meaning in life. It helps us to grow spiritually and, and, and to be more sanctified. It leads us, godly sorrow, the Bible says, leads us to repentance, to turning from our sin. If there was no godly sorrow, there would be no, no repentance. But Jesus says, your sorrow will be turned to joy. So uh, sorrow is not the end. Uh, it's, it's a pathway to future joy. Now, many of the saints of the past, of course, went through great hardships. Uh, today, we, we, we have many advances, of course, in, in, in the medical world, and, and that does kind of insulate us from some of the suffering that others uh, went through, and yet it doesn't completely do away with it. We know that. But I think of Thomas Boston. I was reading about him this week. He was a Scottish minister who grew up in 17th century Scotland, and, and he was converted to Christ at a young age, and he was serious about the Lord until uh, eventually God called him into the ministry. And so he, he was an earnest pastor and preacher. Uh, he wrote uh, wonderful uh, works, commentary on the Shorter Catechism. He wrote The Fourfold State of Man, which is a great uh, theological work and that he's known for. But uh, God brought heavy trials into Thomas Boston's life, and uh, he married Catherine Brown, his wife, and, and she suffered from repeated bouts of acute depression and insanity, evidently. Uh, she was, it was a, a very uh, great burden in his life, but he loved his wife. Uh, he took care of his wife, uh, and, and it, was, it, was a, it was a hardship for him. And he had to bury six of his ten children. In other words, they died as children, more than lived. And he himself was often ill. He, he suffered uh, acute pain and weakness. And Dr. Joel Beakey writes, Though Boston groaned under all these domestic trials, he viewed them as coming from his Heavenly Father's loving hand of discipline. And we talked about that not long ago in, in, in a message that the Lord uh, disciplines those he loves, and it comes often through these trials. And Thomas Boston wrote, It is a very sweet view of affliction to view it as the discipline of the covenant. And so it is indeed. And he, and he said you know, some of the results of suffering in his own life, he said there was, you know, it produced more heavenliness, heavenliness in the frame of my heart, more contempt of the world, more carefulness to walk with God, and more resolution for the Lord's work. Uh, we need these things. Uh, we need sorrow, sadness, suffering, uh, because it, God uses it in many ways. It's, sorrow is better than laughter because, as Solomon said, for by a sad countenance, the heart is made better. Now, the heart is the most important thing that, that we have. Out of it flow the issues of life. Guard your heart with all diligence, the Bible tells us. So the sad countenance makes the heart better. Then that means sad countenance is, becomes a good thing. It drives us closer to God. It humbles us. It makes us more dependent on the Lord. Now, of course, sadness and sorrow doesn't automatically do that. Our initial desire is, my happiness has been disrupted, and I'm not happy about that. Uh, I 
want to complain about it. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of complaining at times. And I'm thankful that uh, my loving wife helps me to come around and to see a better way. And uh, she lets me know, and that's a good thing. So, uh, but when you use sorrow rightly, uh, you use it to begin to look at life from God's perspective. And, 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 and you, when you're undergoing sorrow or suffering, turn to the Bible. There's so much uh, in Scripture, so many verses that deal directly with these kinds of things. Uh, that you will benefit from. And, and so what, what is God up to in your pain and in your sorrow? Particularly think about what you're going through right now. What is he up to? Right, have, you, have, you, have you asked that question? Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote, pain insists upon being attended to. It does, doesn't it? Uh, and, and he said, God whispers this to us in our pleasures. And he speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God is speaking to you through your pain. Are you listening to what God is saying to you? Verse 5. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. A song of fools. Well, that's the song of the unbeliever, the one who has no joy in God, so he finds his joy in the things of this world. And, uh, you know, I love music. Music can be very uplifting. And uh, I, I found myself in the last few years listening to more music than, than I had been uh, for a number of years. And, but the music of fools, uh, the, the, of the world, uh, you know, I'm not going to stand here and say that it, you know it would be wrong for you uh, to listen to uh, to top 40 music. Uh, you know, whether it's Taylor Swift or somebody less lesser known. I'm not going to say that that's wrong, but but I am going to say that music is a very powerful medium. Medium. Uh, it can either lift you up uh, to higher things, or it can bring you down to lesser things. And certainly that is true uh, with our impressionable young people. Uh, and, and, and yet what they need uh, to hear and to, and to be able to, to hear is a rebuke. Uh, what we all need to do is, is to be able to listen to a rebuke from those who are wise in the Lord. Because there is potential uh, for profit and growth in such a rebuke. Psalm 141, verse 5 says, Let the righteous strike me, it shall be a kindness. And let him rebuke me, it shall be as excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it. Uh, it's hard uh, to hear a rebuke. And a rebuke doesn't have to be, you know, a stern a reprimand kind of thing. It can just be a, a gentle correction. Uh, but it still can be very difficult for us to receive. Uh, but if your goal is godliness, then, then a rebuke from the godly is something that you will not turn away from. It turns into a blessing if you receive it rightly. Proverbs 9, 8 says, Do not correct a scoffer, lest he hate you. Uh, rebuke a wise man, he will love you. 
Uh, he who heeds a rebuke gets understanding. So, that, so how do you respond to a rebuke? Well, Jesus taught us in our study of Revelation 3, uh, where he said, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. That's the response, to, to be zealous and to repent of your sins when you are rebuked. And, and again, that rebuke can come through a sermon, it can come through a spouse, it can come through uh, anyone uh, in, in any place if we have ears to hear. Finally, in verse 6, we read, For like the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This also is vanity. Uh, well, the poor, they, they used uh, thorn bushes uh, as uh, fuel in cooking. It was a cheap source of fuel. And when you light them on fire, they crackle and pop. And it reminded Solomon of the sound of the cackling laughter of fools. Uh, the empty uh, laughter that um, is meaningless. And it really does little good. Uh, it burns up in a hurry and then there's nothing left. And so the laughter of fools, think about that. The fool is the unbeliever. And, and so the laughter of unbelief, uh, it, it's, it's kind of a nervous laughter, you know, because uh, you, you laugh at things, but underneath you still have this basic fear of death, uh, this desire to avoid all pain and sorrow. And so uh, there's, there's no confidence, no real joy in the laughter. But Christians are different. We can actually laugh at death because it's lost its sting. Uh, we can rejoice and laugh in life because we know the Lord and we have the assurance of our salvation. So even when things go bad in our lives, we can laugh because we know God is good and he will bring it to a good end eventually in our lives. Well, uh, as we think of the, the contrast between uh, sorrow and laughter, between sadness and, and feasting and so on, uh, think of... These words of our Lord, and I'll close with his words uh, from, uh, from, the Beat, from the Beatitudes, basically. Well, it's a different uh, form of it. But he says, Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. But woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we bow ourselves humbly before your word. We want to submit to its teachings. We want to learn from the words of Solomon today. And Lord, we also bow before your providence. We would learn to submit to you in our trials, in our sufferings, because these come from your loving hand, your sovereign hand. And we know, Lord, that you will bring good. Uh, you will make all these things work together for our good. Only let us respond with repentance, with faith, with humility and submission so that you can do uh, the work that you desire to do through uh, these hardships. And I pray for each one here today. And whatever sadness or difficulty uh, that each one is experiencing, I pray, Lord, uh, that you would teach each one of us and, and, and we would learn the lessons that you have for us. And may we see that our Savior Jesus Christ himself was a man of sorrows and that he himself suffered greatly for us. 
but he did it for the joy set before him. And so we too, Lord, may we follow in his steps as we trust in his death and suffering for us. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.